welcome to the Employment Law Podcast. I'm Brian Powles, Director of PCC Employment Lawyers. I'm going to be joined today by my colleague solicitors, Essie Maravara and Courtney West. Um, this is a lockdown edition of the show. Obviously, we've been in lockdown in Sydney for about five weeks now. So the guys are joining me via Teams and by phone. Um, so I apologise if the sound quality is not what it normally is. The lockdown's also thrown out our schedule a little bit. We, we were going to talk about um, redundancy as part two of our series on termination of employment. Uh, we will do that. We'll probably do that next. But we thought in the meantime, we were going to do a, a quick update on the issue of uh, digital platform gig economy workers. There's been some developments since our podcast a couple of months ago, and, and we thought we'd just you know update listeners and, and have a bit of a discussion around that. Um, we're going to discuss the Deliveroo case um, that was before Commissioner Cambridge and the Fair Work Commission recently, which was um, a, a pretty groundbreaking decision. Um, there's also been some developments with Menulog having made some announcements and, and an application to the Fair Work Commission for a, for a new award. Um, there's also a Senate inquiry report, which is quite relevant. So there's a few developments. We're going to discuss those. Um, given we're in lockdown as well, I thought it might be fun to do a couple of new segments. And, and one of the things I've asked the guys to do is watch some movies. Um, we watched A Few Good Men, the 1992 law drama classic starring Tom Cruise and Demi Moore, Jack Nicholson. Um, an absolute classic. I haven't watched it for ages. So I asked them to do that and we're going to do a little review of that towards the end. But Essie, we'll start with Deliveroo. I, I, I'm, I had the idea of doing this update podcast after reading the decision a couple of days after it came out, but obviously we've dragged our feet a bit. It's actually been a few months. It was the 28th of May um, the decision came out. Yeah, no, time flies in lockdown, but um, <laughs> groundbreaking either way. So with this case, a courier driver, Diego Franco, uh, brought an unfair dismissal claim against Deliveroo. He had been a driver for Deliveroo for about three years until he was notified by email that his driver account would be terminated because his deliveries were just too slow. Um, in response to the unfair dismissal claim, Deliveroo raised a jurisdictional objection on the basis that the, cl- that the driver wasn't an employee of Deliveroo and therefore was not dismissed. Uh, Deliveroo argued that his service agreement as an independent contractor was merely terminated, but no no dismissal could have taken a place because he wasn't an employee. Yeah, so the uh, same, the very similar to uh, the Gupta case that we talked about last time. Is that right? Basically, Fair Work Commission um, determining whether or not he was an employee um, on the basis of whether he got access to unfair dismissal, basically. That's right, yeah, yeah. Ju- um, with both of them jurisdictional objections yeah. to, to, to them being an employee. Uh, then the commission heard evidence on the circumstances of the driver's engagement. So how, how the app worked, how its algorithms worked, how much control Deliveroo had over how the driver worked. So things like how many hours a week he worked, um, what areas he could work in, what he could refuse and so on. Um, some of the other relevant factors was that he had his own motorcycle, he wore their uniform, but that he also occasionally worked for other delivery platforms like Uber Eats and DoorDash. Um, and eventually the Fair Work Commission actually held that the driver was an employee and that his dismissal was an unfair dismissal because it was unnecessarily harsh to notify him by email Oh, uh, that he was too slow after never having raised it before. Yep. Uh, 
And that was, yeah, the first time that the Fair Work Commission has found that a platform worker was, in fact, an employee of the platform. Yeah, so this case, like, like the others, um, comes down to uh, the application of what's known as the multifactorial test, um, the overall picture and the binary outcome. So uh, as set out in the, in the authorities, and they're quite old authorities of Stevens and Bodrib, Hollis and Vabu, cases really from the 60s, 70s and 80s, where this, um, what's known as an intuitive application of appreciation or assessment of the whole, sort of also been described as like a smell test. Um, the, 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 the task of the court is to determine as a question of fact, whether or not an employment relationship has existed as opposed to whether or not it should exist. And to do so, um, the, the application of the, of the multifactorial factors are, are, are critical. Probably the most important is the control test. And really that is, as we said last time, the determination of whether or not the principal controls the worker in, and that's not just a case of just the hours that they work or, or, or when they work. It, it, it's very much also traditionally been about how the work is done. Um, the classic example being, you know, skilled tradespeople who have been, you know, paid or contracted to deliver an outcome as opposed to deliver their services. Now, what's critical here, and I, I feel quite pleased because it's what we talked about with the Gupta case, and, you know, um, I think Commissioner Cambridge has, has really uh, adopted a similar view to that that we were talking about in the last podcast and that is that really the app controlled the workers in this case and a lot of detailed consideration in this case was given to the way the app actually worked um, and, and, and that was critical and, and ultimately Commissioner Cambridge um, you know, believed that the vast amount of data that was actually collected by each worker in this case which allowed the the principal to to control the workers through the threat of termination and it was that data itself that represented the control and that's quite a forward-looking way of applying a control test but i think fundamentally i agree that it's correct in this case yeah right so it was really a trend on control but um what about competition? So yeah. as we discussed last time, well, that, it's a really common argument that delivery app providers, um, of, of delivery app providers, that the work workers are running their own business. Yeah, that's known as multi-apping. Um, and, and I think we talked about it in relation to the Gupta case. It's something that a lot of the delivery drivers do. They, they can be registered with multiple apps and, uh, and logged in at the same time and be picking and choosing jobs between the two of them. And that's been something that's always traditionally the platform operators have used that to argue the non-existence of an employment relationship because really being employed by more than one employer at the same time is inconsistent with employment. That's, that's more consistent with the operation of your own business. Now, Commissioner Cambridge had some really interesting things to say about this and, and some the, the, probably one of the aspects of the case that's most groundbreaking. He, he acknowledges that, you know, most circumstances, a part-time or casual employee can't work for multiple employees at the same time. And he gives the example of where 
someone employed couldn't be, for instance, employed by both McDonald's and Hungry Jack's at the same time because it's physically impossible for them to do that. However, he notes that how much arrangements for the performance of work have altered in, in recent times, and in particular in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, and a lot of those changes having been facilitated by the introduction and application of new technologies. And from that point of view, a lot of employment that has historically involved the physical presence of employee at the workplace has changed. Um, from that point of view, he held that it's no longer the case that that should be a factor that prevents the existence of an employment relationship. So in other words, there may be scope given the rapidly changing concept of the workplace. There may be scope for employment relationships that involve multiple employers. The whole idea of running your own business um, is about the capacity to negotiate with the principal. Um, it's the it's the capacity to pick and choose your work, and and those ideas are not are not consistent with the the, the, the sort of the highly like the low leverage work that, that this is. It's, there's a vulnerability that's inherent in this type of work, and and I think that's the other point that we raised, and this is the other thing that I was familiar because when I was we, we were talking about the Gupta case and the Uber Eats saying that they could delegate to other workers. Um, yeah, I think we had a bit of a laugh on the podcast about it because it's like, yeah, I mean, definitely you, skeptical. <laughs> well, that's right. Who would you delegate to and what with? Do you know what I mean? Like how yeah. much money do you have to actually delegate to other workers in running of your own business? And um, he, you know, again, um, you, you know, the, the fact that you can delegate as a question of contract is somewhat different from actually whether or not you can delegate as a question of fact. Um, and, yeah. and Commissioner Cambridge has made that. And again, I, I felt quite pleased because what we were laughing about in the in the podcast um, in terms of, you know, that delegation, that, that whole concept of delegation being a little bit of a sham, if you like, mm. it was created specifically to make it appear like a contractor relationship, whereas really in real terms, uh, how can you delegate? You know, if I think Emily was saying something like that worked out that it was somewhere between 10 and $14 an hour. Yeah. How are you going to delegate that to somebody else? Um, you know, certainly not if you've if you're employing somebody else to do the work for you. It's it's not going to be possible. So that that's an mm. interesting. You know, um, the other thing too was the, the comment he made about the presentation as part of the business, um, branded attire, utilizing equipment. Again, the comment that we made that really, uh, you know, they were the, the the Uber Eats were trying to say that in the Gupta case that the, that whole concept of the of the person not being an emanation of Uber Eats they were there an emanation of their own business and and we were saying well you know fundamentally that's that's not the case because if you don't think it's the guy from Uber Eats you're not even going to open the door to him so <laughs> so again right. you know it's very clearly um uh, a, a uh, an emanation and when it came to the you know the distinct professional trade He's made the point that the work performed by Mr. Franco didn't involve any established profession, trade, or a distinct calling. And again, it's it's a it's a low leverage, vulnerable activity, and really, you, you know, the, the suggestion that they're offering themselves as their own, you know, they're running a business 
um, just wasn't accepted in that case. So I think it's quite interesting from that point of view. I think um, it's pretty groundbreaking. Um, but Essie, you were saying that, you know, the appeal, um, it, it is yeah, under appeal. Yeah. And which they've heard now, but we, we just won't have a decision for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. And it could well be that it goes, it goes against them. But certainly I think um, Commissioner Cambridge um, has reasoned that decision very, very well. Um, and I, I, I and you know, the commissioner even even uh, ordered that uh, Mr. Franco be reinstated yeah. to his position. Yeah. So how how that would look moving forward if he gets a minimum rate under what award? Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Yeah, there's dogs barking. Can you hear the dogs? Sorry, this is this remote. <laughs> Podcast, yeah. <laughs> lockdown podcasting at its best. All the dogs in my neighbourhood are going crazy. Um, <laughs> so the other thing as well that's happened and that I read about and another thing we talked about in the podcast is there's going to be a a limit given the, the, this this issue of who decides whether someone's an employer or, or, or a contractor and of course the Fair Work Commission being a tribunal um, that's a fact-finding expert tribunal doesn't have the capacity necessarily to make binding law and these things will find their way through to um, you know the, the federal court in the context of judicial review which is very narrow review capacity on whether there's been a jurisdictional error or not and that's why when these things start as unfair dismissal they're going to be persuasive but it's, it's, it's going to take a long time before law changes that way and I remember making that comment about um, an actual case being commenced in original jurisdiction before the courts. Now, interestingly, I read there's a, a new case now against Uber um, that is being commenced directly in the federal court um, on the basis of merely pay slips. So yeah, the the obligation to keep records. Yeah, yeah, which is quite which section five thirty five, and they're seeking um, declarations, and um, and and payment of pay, pay, payment of penalties to the workers' organisation, which is kind of a very interesting interesting case. And so, in a way, it's just I think they're just seeking to get a declaration directly from court. And then obviously leverage that declaration for for more um, substantive substantive um, results for the workers. So that's another one that we'll have to watch um, going forward on this. That's right. Certainly been a big backlash from a political perspective um, from both sides of politics on this one. But certainly my my view as a lawyer. Um, is that Commissioner Cambridge's decision in, in, in this delivery one is very sound. We'll wait and see. Not political, just based on the law. Yeah, that's that's my view. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, that people talk a lot about that, that political trend with the Commission. I know they get a hard time whenever there's something that's very media-driven, because they are political appointments, and the Fairwick Commission are appointed by the government, and you know, generally speaking, the ALP um, will appoint people from a union background and, and the coalition will appoint people from a, a business um, background. Um, 
and you know i think a lot of people perceive it as being a bit like the u.s supreme court where you know mm. and i know there's been because we've now had a coalition government for a long time um there's been a lot of appointments um commissioner cambridge um was appointed by the the labor government i think um the gillard government um from memory i don't know for sure but i mean i, I don't see these as political decisions and i think that the criticisms of the fairwick commission um can be quite uh unfair at times um i certainly have found my experience of being before the fairwick commission i i i i've always found the commission as to be to, to you know to be legally very fair in the you know well they're not they're not judicial officers but i i think that one of the difficulties is that i think there's a these guys are an expert tribunal um and they are supposed to use their knowledge of employment industrial relations to make factual findings as opposed to making judicial findings that a court would do now you can't make a proper factual finding unless you know on this thing unless you actually consult to some extent consult your worldview and everybody's worldview of employment and business is, is a it's is be a, different it is and it's a lived experience so in many ways you you, you require them to do that but it's um but, but it's not but it's certainly not the case i think that you know the labor appointed commissioners always favor the employee and the coalition appointees always favor the um the employer I, d I don't think that's right at all it's it's much much more nuanced than that but certainly i don't see this as political i i, I think um I, I i think it's a it's a good decision um we'll see how else they fall out but the other thing too with this multifactorial test being that it's it's a case by case the, the actual assessment and it, it's a it's a binary decision based on the on the multitude of factors so so the, the the exercise is you assess every factor and determine whether or not as a question of fact it's an employee and um and that in that case we're going to see lots of these decisions going in both directions and in my view i think it's it's not helpful to characterize them as being political i think but i mean obviously people might have a different view but yeah yeah menu log so menu log that's not a case that's just they're just gotten in front of it and um and just made this decision now where i'm i said on the last podcast we don't use uber eats since the lockdown i've become a big menu log fan that's more to do with snoop dog ads than anything else so the fact of course <laughs> obviously i'll take it in i mean how, how can you how can you um, get away from that but what it's are, so what, catchy what's the menu log situation courtney uh yes so Menulog has sort of responded to these, I guess, recent decisions and maybe predicting um, the way this will end up. So Menulog has started a trial where they're actually engaging delivery riders as employees rather than independent contractors. Um, so they're running this currently in Sydney and it's expected to run for a few months. They're, they started off with about 10 um 10 official employees and they're aiming to increase that to roughly 100. yeah cool so um and then in terms of i guess what look what you look at in terms of the multi-factor test um the riders are working four-hour shifts yeah. um, which obviously we know in other 
that and delivery services. There aren't ships per se, just items that are delivered. So, yeah. Yeah, um, so they're working for time and paid per hour, and that's the key. They're not pay, paid on this piecemeal basis. So, yeah. Yeah, so it really means that the menu log's taking risk, more risk than, than, than they, they were on the other model, which, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. But they've still, which I think is, is adaptable, they've still got that flexibility in that there is an option to work split shifts as well. Yeah. Um, so they have responded to that quite practically, I think. Um, and they've even provided the riders with a high-vis menu log uniform. Yeah. Um, and while the employees are expected to provide their own bikes, they are receiving a maintenance allowance for those bikes. Yeah, cool. Yeah, interesting. So I, I, I did think that when I heard the announcements, probably naive, I thought they were just changing everyone over to employees, but that's not the case. It's a, it's a very limited trial at this stage. Is that is that right? Yeah. 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 So, so most of their operations are still under the old model. This is just a trial for the, for the new model. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're actually using, which kind of almost brings me into my next point, they are using this trial to inform an application that yeah. they are making to the Fair Work Commission um, in relation to a new modern award. Um, yeah. So it does seem like they are looking at this as more of a long-term um, strategy. It's just rolling out a little bit more slowly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's interesting to see. If they can get a new award, then that will probably pave the way and give them the flexibility they need um and you know pave the way for more of them becoming employees because this is certainly a, a, a bit of a crunch issue um at the moment and yeah yeah and i should mention um the writers are currently engaged under the miscellaneous workers award yeah. um where they're obviously like i said before receiving a minimum rate of pay in addition to penalty rates yeah um, and the likes yeah you know the miscellaneous award is not particularly prescriptive i mean it, it covers a whole lot of range of different things i mean you could see the benefits of this particular industry having its own award i mean if we're on the brink of a whole range of alleged independent contractors suddenly becoming employees from from one day to the next if if certain court decisions go certain ways then you can see why an award might be uh, a specific award might be the better way to go but i suppose you'll watch that one and also just the senate you were going to report on the senate committee what was it the, the select subcommittee on on job security first interim report on demand platform work in australia and they made some recommendations what, you know what were those yes um so notably there was recommendation seven um i'm just going to read it yeah that's, no, no that's good yeah. Um, so the committee has recommended that the Australian government expand the definition of employment and employee in the Fair Work Act um, to capture new and evolving forms of work. So in addition to that, that expanded definition, um, they also think that there should be a mechanism by which the Fair Work Commission can extend coverage of those rights when necessary to workers who have fallen without, like outside of that expanded definition. Yeah, right. Um, to... I guess ensure there's protection of those workers that yeah. don't have a lot of leverage and are yeah. quite dependent. Yeah. So, which is interesting. So, the the whole idea is you've got an expanded definition of employee, but then protection for people outside that definition. It really comes down to what I think I remember we were talking about last time, um, which was this idea of a third class 
Um, yeah. and, you know, we had a lot of discussion around that and I'm still a bit hesitant whether we, we need any more classes, um, or not. I don't know whether that's necessarily going to be a, a good thing. And look, it's certainly the way, you know, from what I understand that the UK is heading in is to create and, and some of the European countries, this, this kind of class of worker that's, that's an independent contractor, but has got some, some extra, um, protections. And as we talked about, you know, last time, I think, Essie, you talked about the, you know, the deemed workers for superannuation, and then we've got payroll tax and workers comp, and there's a whole lot of different things. And I, I think adding additional layers of complexity to it is not, is not necessarily ideal. I mean, it's probably great for a law firm like us, because, you know, the more confused everybody is, I, I, I suppose, allegedly, that's supposed to be good for business. But I, I don't know that it is. I think, I think the employment com community needs a bit more certainty. And I think just adding, you know, but certainly, we'll, we'll, we'll follow that award um, quite closely, because I think that's, that's going to be interesting. Um, further to what you said about, about certainty, I noticed when reading through um, the report, everyone, the consensus is that the definition should be brought up and they should be extended, but I haven't actually seen a suggested definition. No, um, no, no. But that's, <laughs> what the, that, that's what the Senate is there for. They, they say what, what we should do, but they just don't tell us how to do it. So that's fine. <laughs> and that's on that fine. note, <laughs> uh, right. So the report also did, did include a short sort of sub chapter on the problems with the current regime. Right. Uh, and essentially the select committee was very critical. Uh, they weren't pulling any punches in no. this report. I yeah. don't think, uh, quite honestly, I wanted to do a, a dramatic reading of the entire chapter, but I'm not seeing that, so I don't know if I'll put you all through that. But I'll go through the first paragraph, the opening paragraph, which says that the current binary divide in Australia's regulatory system means that workers who are not classified as employees essentially fall off a cliff into an unregulated wilderness where they can be exposed to exploitative contract conditions and work practices. Yeah. There you have it. Falling off a cliff. Um, I, don't I, I don't disagree yeah. with that. I think, but, I, but you're yeah, right. I don't either. I, it's, I think it's dramatic. That they, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that they said it how it is. And, um, you know, they also pointed out that the Independent Contractors Act, uh, which is a federal law, was really introduced to protect, um, sorry, was not introduced to protect contractors, but it was introduced to prevent the states from unilaterally extending rights and protections to independent contractors. And so currently the only options available to contractors to protect, to protect themselves is for them to individually fight for better contract conditions. Yeah. Um, and the report then went on to highlight how very few platform workers are even accessing the remedies that are available to them. Um, and there was another brilliant quote, uh, <laughs> which said that the idea that a delivery worker working 15 hours per week on the Uber Eats platform and 10 hours per week for Deliveroo is going to have the resources to lodge a case against unfair contract provisions under the Independent Contractors Act is inconceivable. Yeah. So yeah, they were very critical. Yeah. And look, I mean, I think that's the thing, the, the idea of the independent contractor, the traditional independent contractor is someone that has more power in the relationship than an employee. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, fundamentally to, to distill it down to one key concept that's it and that's what the control test is all about you know and, and everybody knows for instance anyone that's done um you know a renovation or um uh, you know d dependent upon you know being able to get trades 
um, to their house or to a construction site will know that you know those guys are independent contractors because they actually have quite a lot of power do you know what i mean like you say to them like yeah. you know I, I need you to come and do this bit of work and they'll say i'm available next next you know in in six weeks time you know sorry see you then you know highly it, skilled highly in demand owning their own tools work for, for doctors maybe but but you know low skilled kind of you know career drivers and and that kind of a thing the, exactly right it's 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 more that the people have got that independent leverage and that's why i think that I think they low leveraged was one of the t terms that the Senate committee used, and that's it's true. Yeah. It's not, you know, employment protections are premised on the idea of vulnerability, and it's exactly the same with the awards. I mean, people become, and it's imperfect, but people become non-award covered because they reach a level of um, income and sophistication where they don't require the awards um protection anymore and like you guys for instance are a perfect example when you were law graduates you were award covered and when you became solicitors you weren't anymore because the idea is you should be able to look after yourselves um yeah you know i know that sounds awful and it's not true at no, all no of course we can <laughs> <laughs> we you know um but but that's but it's true do you, do you know what i mean mm -hmm. in that sense that you know it's it's not about you know better or worse or high paid or lower paid it's about mm. power in the relationship um and, and you know absolutely right someone that's working 15 hours a week and 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 maybe if they're not really super fast at delivering or they're not quite as good as some of their peers and they're getting 13 14 dollars an hour how are they gonna how are they gonna d defend themselves if there if there's basically no employment um you know coverage at all so it, it does make yeah it, it makes sense it makes sense but look we'll yeah. keep watching this issue i think it's fascinating um so uh but next let's move on this is the new segment the good the bad and the ugly now i've shamelessly borrowed this from another podcast sorry um, <laughs> the, the green light podcast with chris long which is about american football so i'm pretty sure there's no one in the world that listens to both podcasts so but if there is i apologize for stealing the idea so we, we you know what we're going to do is going to have a look at recent news in employment law and I've asked you guys to look at the good, the bad, the ugly. I'm going to start with my good and then we'll go around. So my good's a little bit outdated and I'm not sure what the status of legislation is, but the new um, reforms in relation to sexual harassment, I think are all quite welcome. Um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of changes um, in particular harassment on the grounds of sex is being included into the act um, as opposed to it just being harassment of conduct of a sexual nature and that's a really important distinction um, I think the most important one for me and it's it's not the one that's been talked about a lot but the most important one is the um, is the stop harassment order that the um, legislation is going to give the Fair Work Commission the power that the power they currently have under the anti-bullying um, provisions to make a stop bullying order um they're going to make a similar thing uh, in in relation to uh stop sexual harassment and that and that can after can be after as limited as one as one incident and and why i like it it's funny with the uh, the bullying stuff came in i think in about 2014 2015 maybe and it was kind of controversial because everyone was like oh my god the commission's going to be overrun but one of the really good things is it's a non-compensatory 
jurisdiction. So you can't go to the commission and get compensation. You can go to the commission only to get an order for the bullying to stop. And then when the bullying doesn't stop, that then becomes a breach of the Fair Work Commission declaration, etc., and, and it becomes re remedial. But I really like that, and it's it's had very little uptake in the commission, the stop bullying, because you know so often people are, are looking for compensation rather than than um, relief. Uh, and I think that it's really welcome that sexual harassment fall into the same category. I, I personally, I think that too much of employment disputes are in the forum of post-termination disputes seeking monetary compensation. I think the more that we can get disputes between employers, employees, or between colleagues to be actually resolved at the tribunal level without money changing hands, I just think that's a fantastic thing. So hopefully that's a success. What did you guys find with your good, bad and ugly? I had a similar, well, I guess, I don't know if it's similar just because it's it's good. It's um, New, New South Wales is going to be the first state to introduce paid leave for public sector employees after the miscarriage of a child. Yeah, right. So they're going to get bereavement leave of about five working days. Yeah. Um, which I think, I can only imagine it was an oversight. Has, has nobody thought about it before? It just seemed uh, like an important one to include. Yeah. Would it have been covered, I guess, just as as personal leave in general? Yeah, Courtney, that's right. At, at current, it's personal leave for most people that that, that situation is covered by. Um, look, I think it's a welcome a welcome introduction. Um, I, I certainly know that it's it's one area of life that is not discussed very much, um, brushed under the carpet a bit, and and I you know I think credit to them for doing that. I think it will be a long time before that's universal. Certainly the private sector will push back against um, against the cost of doing that. So certainly the the public sector have to pave the way here, but you know, I agree that's that's a welcome welcome move. So what about you, Courtney? Did you have a good? Uh, I did have a good. Uh, mine was quite quite simple. Just basically that the uh, wage theft laws have come into effect in Victoria um, to making it a crime for an employer to dishonestly and deliberately withhold pay. Um, so obviously just adding that extra level of protection um, to vulnerable workers and employees. Yeah, okay. And that's a good for you, wage theft? <laughs> wage theft yeah. isn't good. Um, <laughs> doing something about it and also... <laughs> <laughs> Proactively uh, managing it and having the um, wage expectorate to have powers to investigate yeah. allegations, I yeah. think is a good thing. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I, I feel differently. Um, really? Yeah. No. No. I. I. I think that Brian know. loves wage theft. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. I look. I mean, we, we can talk about it offline. That. That's fine. Um, but <laughs> no, no, I, I don't, I don't object to, like, I hate the concept of underpayment. Um, and, and I see it as being a breach of civil, um, you know, the civil penalties should be high, all of those things. I'm not sure if it should enter the realm of criminality. That's number one. That and, is the point. And secondly, I also have an issue with state governments interfering with 
law that is federal. Maybe um, this is an ugly. Well, I, well, it's, it's, it's definitely confused, that way. perhaps. It's, uh, <laughs> no, no. Commission also, I think they're. Is it is it next year that they're introducing um, a sort of new facet to that, where they can uh, kind of provide more advice on underpayments, give people a sort of a better chance to actually remedy their own underpayments yeah. without any penalty. Uh, that is absolutely. You see, I mean, for me, that's the direction. I, I think we need this to. I think the Fair Work Commission. What you're talking about, I think it's been overdue for years, giving the Fair Work Commission power to actually arbitrate underpayment disputes. I think I, I think that's great. But I, but I agree with you, you Cordy, because what we're talking about with the wage theft, like we're talking about high level, really bad stuff. Yeah, you know, dishonest, and, deliberate. And really what you're talking about, Essie, with the commission is the idea of, and I think there was talking about a $20,000 cap, or I, I, I don't recall, but that's more about, you know, if you're underpaid $1,000, $2,000 and you, and you can't, afford to go to a lawyer and spend two thousand dollars on a lawyer to chase two thousand dollars etc yeah at the moment you're slipping through the cracks and that's not the category that would probably be criminal wage theft either but no, right. it's just criminalizing it criminalizing it to me is just a bit of a slippery slope and and i just don't know like you know if you chuck a sickie from your employer is that wage theft but if you go to my my wallet at work, Brian, and take a couple hundred dollars out, that's theft. It is theft. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I know. Yeah, I know it is. But it, but it's funny. I remember the thing is an, em, an employee taking a sickie. That's that's a deliberate um, taking of a benefit from the employer as well. So yeah. and I don't think that's criminal. So I, it, it's to do with the criminality uh, aspect. But I think it's the main thing for me as a bit of a, a, a federal. Um, centralist and a law nerd I, I don't like the the labor laws that originate in the state governments that are imposing state laws in relation to the breach of federal laws so uh, do, do you see what I mean and it's like yeah I think it's more a constitutional issue that I, and maybe I just I don't like Australian system and that's why I said when I said let's take it offline I, I was more meaning it's a really big issue that's more the issue. We could spend an entire we, podcast on we the could, topic. We I... could. My bad uh, relates to Rosado. Um, obviously, the High Court has made the decision um, recently. And look, I, it doesn't surprise me. Some people hate it. Some people like it. It, it, it is, you know, really a politically charged thing. I suppose my bad was the fervent criticism from the uh, industrial relations law academics that was um, sort of published over the last couple of days, um, describing the decision as being, you know, revolutionary and rewriting the rules. Um, personally, I think that's going a little bit too far. I think, um, you know, I, I like the decision. I think it's right. Um, and, I, and I don't mind people disliking it on political grounds. Um, I think the, the academics in question should should own that as being a political opinion rather than a legal opinion. That's all, I suppose. What was your bad, Essie? Uh, my bad was that the federal court, uh, they found that the Qantas's outsourcing of ground crews was um, adverse action. They said it was motivated by an upcoming employee negotiation and potential industrial ac action, and therefore it was a breach of the Fair Work Act. So. Not not a bad on behalf of federal court, bad on part of Qantas. part of, part of Qantas. I'm yeah. giving them a finger wag. Um, <laughs> finger wag for Qantas. Yeah. 
<laughs> Good one. And she's told you. I haven't read it. I, I was aware of it, but I haven't gotten around to reading that one yet. But um, they're appealing it. They yeah. they are. Um, yeah. They're they're. Um, I think the federal court courts. Uh, they haven't had the remedy hearing yet. Uh, but the ground crew are seeking reinstatement, and Qantas is hoping to get an appeal before that. Right. Well, they're already. Um, Qantas, I think last year were on the nose a little bit for not giving their stand down workers sick pay i don't know if you were following that back then um, yeah and then think, yeah and so they've, they've not yeah they've been making a few they've uh yeah they've some controversial the, decisions yeah yeah um courtney bad have you got one yeah is that what we're yeah. up to i'm losing track uh yes i have a bad it's similar to Essie's in that I don't think the decision was bad. I think what happened was bad. Um, So there was a case where the Fair Work Commission had found that an employer had breached the general protection provisions um, and how he did that was he'd actually dismissed an employee after she asked if she would be able to take annual and personal leave while she recovered from her breast cancer surgery. Yeah, it was a wasn't a pleasant one to read. Um, yeah, but yeah, that was just bad. Yes, that's almost very unfortunate. I think that's 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 almost an ugly, isn't it? <laughs> my ugly is no, the. Let's wait for her ugly. <laughs> What's yours, Brian? My <laughs> my ugly is the uh, federal circuit court judge resigning a couple of months ago because of complaints of sexual harassment against oh. him which uh, yes i think is a bad look for the court and you know apparently that judge mainly did family law but i think in the actual jurisdiction where you take your sexual harassment claims it would be better if the judge wasn't doing it but you know we had an, yeah. we've, we've had allegations about an even more senior judicial officer recently so um look it's a bad look for it's an ugly mm. look for, yeah, for it undermines for the bench doesn't it but um Definitely. that's that's all that needs to be said no my my ugly doesn't sound nearly ugly enough in comparison <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking about the amazon box story you, you read that didn't you the um yeah that amazon this was in the united states of course so i don't know if it, it would extend to australia but that they're you know reportedly allegedly using algorithms to track the work of its couriers and drivers um and if the algorithm determines that their work doesn't meet their standards they it just sends out an automated email oh, yeah. terminating their account which is interestingly just so similar to uh this delivery case except for the fact that we actually had well, in this case, they actually did have, um, you know, people going through the data and yeah. not an algorithm that just automatically sent through an email. Yeah. So being sacked by that's a robot, future. being sacked by a robot, basically, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's an ugly. I like it. All right, go on to your last. What do you got? Okay, ugly. so my ugly is definitely nowhere near. Um, as ugly i more picked it as ugly because it's a little bit um confusing i guess there's you can dance on either side of it so the new south wales government has announced that they're making changes to the work health and safety regulations um to target relevantly the food delivery sector right 
Um, so there's some good things in that, in that they're requiring, they want to require the platforms to provide PPE and induction training to the riders. Um, but on top of that, the actual delivery riders are the people who are going to be sort of targeted and penalised for unsafe practices. Yeah. So those, those regulations have been criticised for not really getting to the root of the problem and actually preventing unsafe practices instead just punishing the vulnerable riders yeah um, yeah rather than going to the platforms to change yeah yeah is it like it's, it's similar like I, I i'm just going to throw another one in there it's like the modern slavery laws that rolled out last year um designed to make sure that large companies worked harder to ensure that um they weren't there was no slavery in their supply chain and and what they've done is they've just created a whole lot of the large companies have created a whole lot of onerous paperwork for each of their slightly smaller suppliers to fill out and and it's pushed down the line you know um you know you've got to imagine if if everybody did that and pushed it down the line and down the line and down the line and then you can finally get to the slave and say here sign this to, to, to let everybody know that you're not a slave you know it, it becomes and a bit counterproductive yeah if you, if you are that's on you that's you. it all right so apologies to chris long um that's the good the bad the ugly that's cool i think we'll do it next time um so the last one is the movie you guys watched it i've been yeah. watching a lot of movies but i enjoyed this oh, I absolutely i don't think i've watched it for like um like 15 years or so so really yeah i um, no i revisited a couple years i I feel like it's one of those that just comes up every couple years and maybe my family just likes it yeah 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 what did you think (laughs) oh good it makes me tom cruise makes me want to go get a baseball bat i'll be a better lawyer you know (laughs) (laughs) i think better with my bat (laughs) you're an athlete yeah i well i maybe his his legal career he doesn't deal with as quite as much antagonism and conflict as the average employment lawyer because i think if i did my day with a baseball bat there'd be accidents <laughs> happening all the time so. <laughs> just with some of the difficult phone calls but yeah so oh, who did you like to, who was your favorite character oh i i don't know if he was my favorite but i reckon this is probably kevin bacon's best role yeah. ever I'm a hundred percent. I loved him. I don't know what it is, yeah. but I liked him. Um, I thought he was a really strong character, like definitely. And I liked the fact that he kind of seems, he, he, he conveyed that sense that he was like, he was a, he, he, I don't know. Look, what I liked about the whole movie was that whole idea of, you know, that, that, um, you know, the military mindset and the legal mindset and where they clash. And it's obvious, you know, you talk to anybody, um, anybody in the military and it's clear that there is, that there is that world, that military world that is kind of inconsistent with some of our safe beliefs. Um, and it, but it's funny how, and I didn't realize, um, until I was a lawyer, how confronting that actually can be like I, I recall being with some friends of mine like three other lawyers and one of them's boyfriend was ex-military and we were just I don't know we weren't even talking about anything controversial I think we were just talking about stuff um you know whether it was human rights or whether it was it might have been to do with the visa like the cancellation of dual citizens or something like that 
and and it's it's amazing how a, a legal opinion can actually really offend someone in the military quite quite easily and vice versa and so and, mm. I, and I think it captures that really well but what i think kevin bacon was great was he sort of had that lawyer um that that sort of trust in the law and the rest of it but he also was really you know that that whole sense that he obviously adopted it when he was warning the scene in the pub with tom cruise where he warns him not to um yeah. not to um cross-examine jack nicholson i can't remember the characters names but he he warns him not to make the allegation to him or then he's going to face court marshals and stuff and the rest of it but yeah he was cool and the whole yeah yeah i agree but courtney this was your first time seeing it wasn't it i no, i had watched it i watched it in high school i think for english but i didn't remember it all i remembered was the iconic you can't handle the truth um, you so can't handle the truth. And I haven't watched a lot of Tom Cruise. I, again, Kevin Bacon character, yeah. brilliant, really addressed how complex the issues are. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tom Cruise was so annoying for like, his character <laughs> for the first, I don't know how long. Yeah. Just couldn't. Like, I've actually got, I've got notes on my phone. I took notes while watching. But he walked into Demi Moore's office eating an apple. Yeah. I thought that was so rude. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, definitely. And look, there, I, it, I, one of the things I was taken aback with having done, you know, I know I've been talking about sexual harassment already, but having, you know, recently done some training and stuff for, um, uh, for employers, I was a bit taken aback by a couple of comments that he made <gasps> to her. Oh. Like when she... she like talks about his resume and he says oh i'm aroused or something but then the the comment that the colonel was it colonel jessup jack nicholson i can't remember yeah. yes like I says yeah. to her at the breakfast table I was like my god like you can't say that like that you know i, I don't even think that would be in a movie now do you know what i mean I like, literally yeah. In my notes. yeah so much sexual harassment and it's funny how like you know, i think obviously that's a sign that stand Sorry. like standards have changed because that that in what 1992 i think was just you know quirky funny chatter um i think i i agree with tom like uh, i i feel a bit sad for tom cruise because i don't mind him but every movie he did for the first if, out of his first 10 movies were all about him being this struggling vexed person that's fighting against the memory of his father like it's just this typecast <laughs> thing and i was like it's you know uh rain man there was um risky business few good men um the cover of money wasn't about that but it was about him's relationship with paul newman it's all this this whole father figure thing um oh the one where where he's the footballer with the scholarship you know i don't know that there's just and, and i kind of feel for him because i think he was trying to be a good actor but he just kept being put in the same part do you know what i mean well you know he'd be in a race car one week and then he's in the Oh, Top Gun, it was about his father as well. And it's like he's a oh, pilot cute. and then he's a lawyer and then he's this, but he's, and then he plays pool, but he's the same character every time. But I don't think yeah. that was his fault. I think that was the casting. But, he, um, did, he did turn it around in this one. By the end, yeah. I, was, I was on board. Yeah, yeah. So just from a law perspective, I mean, if there's anybody out there who was a lawyer in the early 90s, if... As soon as uh, they made that decision that they're going to take it to court, Tom Cruise, with a completely, you know, very serious expression on his face, tells Demi Moore, his superior, 
<laughs> to go out and get a half a dozen boxes of blue pens, half a dozen boxes of red pens. <laughs> and I just don't understand. Why did they need so many pens? I thought did he the misspeak? I thought the same thing. I think they needed more pads and less pens because there's only so much. I mean, yeah, I, I thought that was a bit funny too. Yeah. I thought maybe, did he mean to say half a dozen blue pens? Because that would have been two each between the three of them. That would have been fine. But half, half a dozen, a dozen boxes? boxes. I don't know. Maybe boxes of 10. Maybe they had small boxes. I, I was imagining those boxes of big biros and I was thinking, I thought the same thing. That's too many. That's too many. But, um, but one thing I did like, um, it's funny, it was a cliche, but I think it's, I, I think, here, okay, I'm going to talk about favourite scene and least favourite scene, I, and also, because a lot of it was about, like, when I asked you guys to think about the realism of the legal content, and I didn't, I've got to say, I've never been in the JAG Corps or any type of military, and I've never been to Guantanamo Bay or all the rest of it. You don't, as an employment lawyer in Sydney, you don't get to go to Guantanamo Bay very often. So I well, don't I think I'm going to be able to comment on realism. But it's funny, like, my least favourite scene is actually the most accurate, and my favourite scene is the least accurate. Goes <laughs> to show. Yeah, I also didn't know, and it's funny. I liked Kevin Bacon, but I, I, I would like to know if anyone's ever been in a military legal context. I was kind of the whole plea bargaining thing. I thought was a bit. I, I can't believe that military lawyers have got that much scope to bargain on pleas. Like you know, when they're talking about the oregano, and um, you know, when they're with, with the first yeah. lawyer and he's batting, and he says, "Oh." I'll give you nine days in the brig. Oh no, I'll give you 30. Like, and you hear that about the American legal system generally, but I, yeah. I, I'd be very surprised if that type of discretion exists. And even with Kevin Bacon, when, when in that case where he's bargaining and says, oh, I'll give you, you know, manslaughter, they'll be home in six years or whatever it is. Um, like I, I just, it just seemed a bit, yeah, that, that seemed a bit fake, but when they're in the corridor together, Demi and, um tom and she's pushing him and he's like he just does that outburst and he's like it doesn't matter what i believe it matters what i prove right <laughs> no it matters what i can prove and it's just it's really crass and i don't think it's a very good scene but as an actual concept i think it's really interesting because that is so true and anyone that's done actual litigation all the way from beginning to end will be quite cynical like i am about you know the process like it's it's a good process it works and it's fine and it's fair but it's not ever ever about the truth it's about the evidence and i think that's kind of like like was quite interesting that's but, correct um, but that was your least favorite then but it was my least favorite scene but i, I actually like it as a concept i just thought the seas yeah. the scene was a bit sort of naff i i don't know like oh we call that naff cringy sorry whatever <laughs> cringy it's yeah what about you was your was your least favorite scene was the boxes of pens i'm guessing or <laughs> oh it probably was but also i didn't like the part where um is it kevin pollack who's um yeah and and he he made that comment saying i think when they first were going to guantanamo and he says oh you'll have to wear your whites and tom cruise says i don't want to wear the whites i don't like them and he and kevin pollack goes nobody likes the whites and i feel like that's just such a lie the whites, the yeah. suit, the what they had to I wear. I would hate that. Nobody likes them. I, 
I would hate to wear one of those white suits. That would, in a sense... Yeah, but we all like the look of them. Really? Well, we... <laughs> We've been working from home Put me for back a me while up. now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining the state of my white suit after I have my hot dog at lunchtime, do you know what I mean? And all the mustard thing <laughs> down the front. <laughs> you know how scruffy I don't like I am. liars, that's all. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, but then it, that's... Colonel Jessup makes a really inappropriate comment about the white suits too, doesn't he? It's, uh, yeah, another one. Does. Um, but the classic one, my, my, the favourite scene's got to be that ending where, you know, the you can't handle the truth bit, and that is Obviously. awesome, and it's such a good scene. But, again, that's the bit, the realism, and I was talking to you about this already, Essie, but uh, not with you, Courtney, but, you know, I, it, it, people don't ever just oh, people get uneasy in the in the witness stand and they get hot under the collar and they get angry and all the rest of it but i like i've certainly never witnessed anyone just go oh, screw it okay i'm just going to admit to everything and tell them and, <laughs> and we were watching law and order the other night and the same thing happened and I'm like that just it just never happens and yeah yeah and we were villains uh, in movies that reveal the plan so sorry it's like the villain in the movie when they reveal their grand. Yeah, 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 and they just admit it, and they admit it, and it, and it look, it's so good in the courtroom scenes when that happens. But yeah, it just it just doesn't happen. Um, and really, the reason this and this is what I was talking, you know, the, the reason you do that, the reason you put it put to people is that it's, um, you know, in in effect, in, in if you're going to invite an inference from other evidence that somebody's not telling the truth you first have to get them to actually not tell the truth. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you, you've got yeah. to ask them before you can invite any other um, uh, other inference. So I think in, in the real situation, he would have asked that and then he would have led the evidence, etc. But in reality, he didn't have the evidence because um, he was bluffing. But, um, you know, I, I think in a real courtroom situation, Tom would have been in real... The, the colonel would have lied with a straight face and Tom would have been in serious hot water and it all would have been Demi's fault for putting him up to it. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, um, <laughs> I think no, up I until, um, you know, probably based on this movie, I always assumed that people just say, you know, oh, I put to you that you were, you know, you were the murderer. Or, or whatever it is that they say. I thought it was always for dramatic effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Because no. of movies like these where they crack under pressure. Yeah, yeah, no. It's, it's got a legitimate legal forensic purpose. And um, and people of Colonel Jessup's fortitude generally don't, don't flip out in the stand. I think what happens with people when they tell, when they don't tell the truth in the stand, the judge finds out and, you know, three months later, you know, they, they say that they did not, you know, they preferred the evidence of so-and-so, but, but the, yeah, the, the, the drama, in my experience, doesn't happen. It's just awkwardness. Um, but no, but I really liked it. I thought it was good. Um, yeah, and, and to be honest, my, my favorite scene was still probably when um, it's towards the beginning and Demi walks up to Tom on the baseball field and just starts quizzing him about how he's going to handle the case. And Tom just asks her, oh, well, you know, what's your jurisdiction? And she says, my jurisdiction is pretty much in your face. 
I can't wait to use that one day, you know, in a part of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> but you and yours, Courtney, other than the apple scene, which I actually thought that was pretty gross too, but I think they were deliberately making a point when they. Like yeah, he was I just thought like, if I walked into your office with an apple, you'd be like, that's rude. Oh, <laughs> um, nah. Well, not about having lunch, but if you walk into, I guess, a when, superior's office yeah. with that attitude. We're not the military, though. You guys can eat apples at work. Not that we're, not that we're ever allowed Thanks, to go man. to work, but... Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I really liked the scene when um, Dawson said that he wasn't going to plead guilty. He's just like, I didn't do it. I'm not. I'm not pleading to this. I just thought that was a really powerful yeah. scene, actually. Yeah. Um, sh- they hadn't really entertained even the possibility of that before then. Yeah. Um, he was actually a pretty powerful character, too, mm-hmm. wasn't he? And I don't know if yeah. it's the same scene, but where, um, you know, Tom gets the shits and leaves and he opens the door and turns around and says what happened to saluting an officer and the guy just shoves his hands in his pants. Like, I mean, that's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was that a real, um, no, that was good. So out of 10, I gave it an eight and a half. I thought it was that good. Maybe an eight, yeah. maybe an eight. Cause I'll give, I'll give them half a point for being a bit outdated with some of the stuff that we're talking about The you know, whatever. He I, the... I feel like generally out of movies i'll give it an eight for sure out of law movies i feel like it's going to be a nine i feel like there are lots of law movies out there that are either completely inaccurate or not entertaining yeah or just courtroom scenes might be good but the rest of it's not that great so i feel like as a law movie i give it a nine so you actually think law movies are so bad that they get it they they indexed kind of up a whole a whole rating I mean, obviously, I'm going to have to spend a lot of my lockdown going through a lot of law movies to test this out properly, but I I think so. Yeah. Okay, Courtney, so you're a nine, I'm an eight. Courtney? I'm I'm an eight, although, not an all though, I'm an eight, and I completely forgot to mention the one, like, employment law-related matter in the movie. When Jack Nicholson threatens to kill John if Santiago, you know, the character who was killed didn't pass his next test and he said i will kill you if he doesn't pass the test and i thought that was just an unreasonable like management action (laughs) 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 definitely yeah yeah okay i can see him that's right going to the uh so i can't remember him saying that he said that to keeper sutherland yeah at the um at the start it was like if he doesn't pass this test um I'm going to kill you. You know, I will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay. That's not going to look good on his workers' compensation medical certificate, is it? <laughs> <laughs> My employer threatened to kill me. Yeah, it's not a reasonable management action. I pay that. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. And then it's legally blonde next time. That's what you guys Absolutely. decided, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that as much. I'm going to be honest I can't with you. you to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it. I've I've, I've balked. Thanks, everyone. Great corpse. It'll be good. (laughs) Um, That's it. We'll try, and now that we've worked out, apologies for the technology and the sound quality, everyone, if you've made it this far. Um, Obviously, we're struggling with the lockdown issues. Um, I'm sure by the looks of things, we're going to be doing the next one in lockdown as well. So... um, uh, subscribe and share it and if you've got any questions please um, 
send us an email um, and we can address them on the next pod or we can email you back. Um, thanks for listening if you made it this far. See you next time.